this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And folks, I'm very excited today because we have got live in studio Kevin Como, hey. guitarist for the Hey Kev, guitarist for the uh, hot new heavy blues band in Toronto called Crownlands, a band I love. Their EP uh, called Mantra uh, came out last year, and uh, these guys have been just like ripping up Toronto. They uh, something like that. Yeah. Working very hard, <laughs> working hard. But you guys just won the uh, the Hits FM uh, Rock Search. Yeah, yeah, ninety seven seven out in St. Catharines. Yeah, and they they crowned us their winners this year. Just super super humbling. Like we uh, we didn't quite believe it when it happened. We had a uh, like I had my mom, my dad, and my girlfriend there with me, and like nice. we we're all kind of huddled around in this corner, right? You know, everyone's just uh, like almost praying, right? And yeah. all of a sudden, one and just everyone started jumping up and down, and uh, yeah, it didn't really seem real until we got on stage and you know gave everyone a hug and shook everyone's hand, and it's still like it's not quite real, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, our friends are texting us like, "Oh, we heard you on the radio," and it's like, <laughs> "What?" And uh, yeah, it's just it's been amazing so far. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Very, very, very well done. Good job, man. Thanks. Uh, so tomorrow night you guys are playing your first gig at the Horseshoe Tavern. Yeah, yeah, we are, and uh, we're opening up for our pals, the Lazies. Yes, and, uh, great band. Yeah, and Ian Desaw from Billy Talent is curating it. It's part of the North by Northeast Curator Series. Yeah, and yeah, that was another just you know huge taking aback moment. You know, Cody yeah. texts me, he's like, "Did we just get invited to play North by?" And I look at the email, <laughs> like, "Dude, that's Ian Desaw, man!" I'm really, like, what? And yeah. uh, so that's um. We've been flying pretty high on that lately. You know, yes. it's just like these, these, uh, these tastemakers have decided we're cool. So that's yeah, yeah not something I was expecting this early. So yeah. that's really cool. Well, you guys are on your way, man. Thank you. So I will definitely be there tomorrow night. Yes. At the horseshoe. Thanks, man. To cheer you guys on. Uh, you guys go on at eleven o'clock, I think, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so yeah. So today we're gonna do something. I've got your list of songs here. But we're going to do something we've never done on the show before. Cool. So we are actually going to, uh, because you're a great guitar player, we're going to. You brought your guitars in, but you're going to play some of mine too. Yeah. Uh, you're going to play uh, along with some of the tunes that you've brought here today. Yeah, some of them. Which yeah. is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I should have brushed up my practice, but again, I've been like out playing like three or four shows a week, so yeah. I haven't had time to actually sit down and woodshed no worries, some of them man. that I should have. You know, it's been pretty naughty. <laughs> No worries. Let's have some fun with us. Sure, man. All right. Okay. So your first tune is uh, by Rush and yeah. it's Xanadu. Yeah. So tell me about that, man. So Xanadu uh, came out on their Farewell to Kings album in '77. It was very, very long before my time. And uh, we were we were talking about this earlier. Uh, the first time I heard that song, I was like 14 years old, and I was riding my bike, and I just downloaded it and put it on my iPod Nano. Yeah. And I was riding my bike, you know, early springtime, I have my big headphones on, and I just hear, like, these ambient soundscapes come on, and I hear these birds chirping, and I'm taking my headphones off, like, wait, they're not outside, and put them on, like, whoa, because, you know, at that point, you know, I'm 14, I have, like, spiky blue hair, and I'm an angst-ridden teenager, and, like, yeah. Green Day is the most important band in the world to me, Yeah. and then all of a sudden, I get my first dose of prog rock, and I think I downloaded it again in, like, a teenage... Uh, rebellion because my parents were not into rush whatsoever and yeah. so i was like well you know if they don't like it you know, there has to be something there and uh instead of getting you know uh burned down the schools i got a 12 minute opus <laughs> on uh you know samuel tuller uh coleridge's poems and yes. that's pretty far out yeah and it just yeah it blew my mind and like that's still what i'm chasing today is like the way that song made me feel every time i hear xanadu i'm transported back to like 
I'm 14 years old and it's early springtime and I'm hearing the song for the first time and like all these complex time signatures and it just it showed me what music could be yeah you know, at that point I was listening to like three or four chord punk rock and again nothing wrong with that yeah but it just it opened my world it just made me realize what was actually out there and you know after that I started playing like bass guitar keyboards drums I just had to figure out what they were doing yeah you know? yeah, yeah. We were talking earlier, and uh, I told you, you know, you're a lot more astute than I am in that area because I, I completely missed the boat on Rush yeah. when I was a kid, right? You know, they were almost too, they were too intellectual for me, and I kind of I gravitated to like, you know, the Motley Crues and the Guns N' Roses totally. of the day. But um, I love Rush now, and I appreciate that stuff. And as a matter of fact, the Guns N' Roses connection we talked about earlier as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um... Are we gonna? There we go. Yeah. yeah so that that opening riff of Xanadu is like. And that's in the key of E. Yeah. Um, and then if you transfer it down to, well, you said we said D, it's and all of a sudden. It's pretty close to Sweet Child of Mine. Pretty close to Sweet Child of Mine. And yeah. Xanadu came out ten years earlier, and I think Slash was uh, he was just working on like a scale or something, right? He was just mm-hmm. doing um, like. A mixolydian yeah. scale, and then Axel apparently was like, "Oh, that's the new riff, right?" You know, yeah. but who knows? Maybe he was geeking out, listening to Rush the night before, and couldn't <laughs> get it out of his head. But um, yeah, that that song is just—it's magic. And actually, uh, the studio version—I guess the tape sped up during the mastering process, and oh. it's like a quarter tone like, sharp. It's not quite in the key of E. Like really? if you play along to it, you're like, "Oh." I suck. Like this isn't right. But no, it's just because I guess uh, like the original the original tapes got sped up or something for that song. Yeah. And it's ever so sharp. Oh it's wow. Ever so sharp. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. Uh, okay, so your next song is a song that I've never heard before. It is uh, by Explosions in the Sky, and it's yeah. called Your Hand in Mine. Yeah. Tell me about this. So. Uh, Explosions in the Sky is like the preeminent post-rock band. Okay. And they, they came to prominence in the early 2000s out of Texas, and they were playing just instrumental rock. And post-rock, they, they've, in a sense, like, they've abandoned that term. Like, they've, they've always said, we're not post-rock, you know. But post-rock is kind of defined as, like, orchestral music that's um, played with with rock instruments and you could almost take that um that description apply that to progressive rock as well okay and they share um they they share a lot more than they don't and it's just like incredible beautiful moving music and it's so simple too and there's um it just it strikes a chord in you it's you feel like you've heard this before yeah and it's these uh, huge crescendos and it sounds like a soundtrack being conducted by four guitar players and uh on this on this album, that was one of their first records on uh, The Earth is Not a Cold Dead Place, and I think that came out in 2003 or something. Mm-hmm. And they went on uh, their big claim to fame. They did the soundtrack for Friday Night Lights. Okay. And, yeah, they just, um, it sounds like an orchestra, and there's only, like, three guitar players, four guitar players in the band. Really? And wow. It's just amazing what they can do. If you haven't heard it, I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, no, I always say, you know, I love the discovery aspect of doing this show. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come in with stuff I've never heard. I've, you know, I haven't heard, but also haven't even heard of. Yeah. And this is one of those. Cool. So I will definitely check this yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's magic. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, just, it stirs something inside you, for sure. Yeah, awesome. So uh, the next tune is uh, by somebody I certainly have heard of. His name is Bob Dylan. 
and uh, the tune oh, yeah. is uh, <laughs> yeah yeah I yeah I know that guy yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that dude. Um, the tune is "Boots of Spanish Leather." Good pick. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, that's on uh, times they were changing, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was racking my brain hard. Like I knew I had to pick a Dylan tune, um, and, and I was gonna go with "Don't Think Twice" okay. on uh, uh, freewheeling, but I'd be lying to myself that that made my skin vibrate the same way as this. And it's a dialogue going back and forth between these these two uh, lovers, right? And it's being written by I guess by by the the girl who has left and she's sailing across the ocean to like seek her like her fame and fortune in, in Spain okay. and she's she's writing back it's like hey like you know what can I what can I send you so that way you remember me and the guy's just like so lost he's like just bring yourself back to me like please and yeah. just uh the the lyrics he 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 put together for this song is amazing and like the mix is terrible mm-hmm. like the guitar is buried in the mix but it's actually the exact same chord progression as and melody as the girl from north country which is another song on the record that came out before yeah and it's i kind of see them as like spiritual like uh sequels like um to each other okay and it's kind of like this is like the the, lo- the love you know getting lost and uh the girl from north country is years later when you're trying to reconnect but the reason i picked this song um when i was uh, 19 i i dropped out of university and i hitchhiked to los angeles did you really yeah and uh while down there i joined a reggae band and did that for six months and it was one of the coolest times we got to play the whiskey a go-go and all that stuff no did you really yeah it was it was mind-blowing you know i was just like this you know little kid and uh, i I, I was growing out my beard and it was just coming in so patchy because you know, I was underage at that point, right? I'd just become drinking age in yeah. Canada. So what was my instinct? I'm going to go down to uh, go down to California where I can't do anything fun. But um, <laughs> the, why this song resonates with me, uh, Boots of Spanish Leather, is um, whenever I, I listen to the song, it, it takes me back to like that time where it's like, do I give up my university career because I was studying classical music? Do I yeah. give that up? Do I give up this normal life to like you know, go live in the woods for like, you know, a month when I'm, you know, hiking down these, you know, uh, like all these highways. And uh, I, I don't regret it at all. I absolutely made the right decision because that's why I'm sitting on your couch right now talking to you, right? Yeah, it's like exactly. all these, you know, all these amazing things. But that song just brings that kind of forlorn, um, those feelings of the things you have to sacrifice to live your life for yourself and wow. uh, for, for better or for worse, right? And uh it always makes makes my heart go a bit when I listen to those songs. Impressive, man. Very impressive. Thanks. Very impressive. Uh, your next tune, my friend, is by Yes. Oh, yeah. And it is Heart of the Sunrise. Yeah. Great tune. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's uh, one of one of those songs we were talking earlier, how, you know, when I was like an angst-ridden teenager, slowly <laughs> discovering prog rock and getting out of like the punk thing. And that was one of those like catalysts uh, that was the last song on fragile which was yes's uh first record they did with rick wakeman yeah and that uh so let me ask you a question, sure Kyle. sure man so as a kid so how old were you when this was going on so you were a punk kid yeah yeah I, and then yeah. when did you when did you kind of graduate to Prague? or not graduate but when was your interest in Prague really kind of ignited yeah um when i was 14 and i know downloaded a farewell to kings by rush okay. that that was i don't know why that record of all things because it's like it's, you know a lot of kind of like medieval kind of themes and yeah. stuff where i don't know why it appealed to me so much but i was like oh that one's got closer to the heart on it i'll you know I'll download that one and check it out and yeah 
But like for somebody to listen to Yes, like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, um, Owner of a Lonely Heart was popular. Yeah. And that yeah, was that uh, was simple. It was just a, a kind of very standard rock tune. It had the, it is, the, the, yeah. the kind of upfront guitar, right? It wasn't a typical Yes song yeah. in the sense that, you know, most Yes songs are like, you know, extended to the 50 minutes long or whatever and they're very they, there's all kinds of different time signatures and so yeah. forth it's very unconventional uh, compared to things like Owner of the Lonely Heart but you saw something in there as a, as a kid yeah. that you really appreciated um, I don't know I was, I was never a cool kid growing up and I think music was always my escape I was mm-hmm. never good at sports um, like I was decent at academics you know I was a good reader I was good at science but yeah, I don't know. I guess I turned 11 and I heard the um, Holiday by Green Day on the radio and I heard that yeah. bass solo. And I was like, yeah. I need a, you know, I don't know what that instrument is, but it's like that super low sound. And I think that's why I gravitated towards prog because it's the, it's the only genre of music I find where the bass is typically the lead or the melodic instrument and it's mm-hmm. just championed more. Whereas most rock and roll bass is, it's like the ongoing but of every joke, right? Yes. You know, no one kind of respects the bass player. You know, yeah, the failed guitar player. Exactly. You know, you're you're not thinking of Paul Simon and from the Clash. You're thinking of Joe Strummer. Yes. You know, you're thinking of Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. You're not thinking of Mike Dern. Exactly. Whereas with Prague, like Chris Squire from Yes, yes. and Getty Lee from Rush, and Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Steve Harris, exactly. Those triplets, man. All that, and it's just, I think that's that's what drew me in because I as you know a fledgling little bass player and hearing these guys with very unique tone and very unique lines uh, yeah. they're focusing on melody rather than just playing root notes mm-hmm. and it's kind of funny where you know now I'm playing guitar in this band um, most most bass players are failed guitar players where as a guitar player, I'm just a failed bass player. You know, I'm mostly just doing bass lines on my guitar. That and, is really um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's how we work as a two piece. Then is because really I'm I'm approaching it as as a bass instrument. That's right. Whereas like you're you're that bridge between the harmony and um, the melody and the rhythm, right? Yeah. And, like the bass is still like a fairly new instrument. You know, the guitar has been around as as a lute uh, for like hundreds of years, whereas yep. the electric bass as we know it, that was invented in like 1953. Mm-hmm. We're still defining its role in popular music. Yep. It's still like a fresh voice, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, so I think the bass is why I was drawn to Prague. And then all like the synths and like these giant 20-piece yes. drum kits and the excess of it all. And again, like they were never cool guys playing in Prague bands. You know, there's like these weird kind of gangly, geeky kids. And like I think I just identified with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. yeah, Chris Squire from Yes. That, uh, that bass line of Roundabout. Oh, it's insane, man. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Definitely not a failed musician by any stretch. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, another prog band is up next. It is King Crimson. And this is this is a funny one. I'm going to ask you a question about this. Sure. In the court of the Crimson King. Yeah. So now, do you remember, because you're, you're a metal guy, yeah. uh, too, and we, we've had conversations about, about Queens, Queens, right? Queens, right, yeah. And so there was a band called Sabotage. Okay. Do you know the band? I don't, know. So they were kind of a, they, they were a lesser known metal band, I want to say like late 80s, early 90s. Sure. And they were prog-ish, like they kind of had that neoclassical kind of Engve yeah. Mostein kind of thing. Yeah, on. yeah. Um, but they had a song called In the Hall of the Mountain King, which is kind of weird. Yeah, well, that was a, that was a classical piece, right? Uh, In I the forget, Hall of the Mountain King? Yeah, I forget who, um, 
wrote that. It's like, yeah, yeah. So what's the core? Is there a correlation here? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, cause again, in the Holy Mountain King, that's like an old, old, uh, well, I guess this would be romantic music. I think is it? So I've been like, this is century. like far from romantic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like, again, that, that whole neoclassical thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, you listen to, you know, classical music and you're like, wow, if this was played with a distorted guitar, it'd be like the heaviest thing out there. Yeah, exactly. You know? so, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's not related. Um, okay. I actually struggled a lot trying to pick um, the right King Crimson song because yeah. King Crimson has had many iterations. Like, I, I think I went a little too prog heavy on this playlist. <laughs> but, um, you can always come back. We'll exactly, exactly. Do something that's a little bit more accessible. <laughs> Whereas this was um, the title track on their first record. It came out in 1969. Okay. And I think this changed uh, rock and roll forever. Because up until that point, rock was based and rooted in the blues. Right. And this was the first record that came out... Um, that bridge the gap between um, jazz and rock. Yes. And so this is like, you know, what at the same time when Miles Davis was doing Bitches Brew and all mm-hmm. of his experimental stuff using tape loops and having like this giant band like track live and you had guitar players like John McLaughlin, and, like all these crazy virtuosos coming in and making the weirdest music. And yeah. King Crimson kind of, they were like the scariest band coming out of England at that time. And Pete Townsend was like a huge, huge fan. And mm-hmm. he said this was like, like a total masterpiece. And it's, you know, down to the artwork, down to uh, the lyrical content, and the music. It's one of the first like true, like prog rock albums. Okay. And, every, and it kind of set that template for Yes and Genesis mm-hmm. and, you know, all those bands that would go on to, you know, influence the bands that would influence me. And yeah. so, King Crimson has had like a very long history and they're almost like there's seven different bands with the name King Crimson throughout the years and they've all been um, fronted by a guitar player named Robert Fripp. Yes. When I say fronted, he just kind of sits there on his stool in like the corner of the stage, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like unlighted and he's just like the weirdest guy, you know, he's developed like all these new tunings and yep. his stuff is very, very esoteric and very far out and he's had a hand in so many musical inventions over the years like he helped uh develop ambient music with brian eno oh really uh, yeah and like uh he was like one of the first guys to mess around with tape loops and you know design like these cool soundscapes and uh so it was tough to pick one king crimson song okay um i just picked this one because again when i was you know, as a kid, uh, I discovered my dad's record collection, and yeah. this was in there. And I just remember listening to it and just like sitting down. And I felt like I was stoned, and you know, I was just whoa. You know, my dad walks in, and like, "What's wrong? Are you?" You know, I was just like, "Nothing, man." It's just the music had taken me like so far, and it's just, <laughs> yeah, like, you don't get an experience like that all the time when yeah. Yeah, a song makes you feel like you're stoned when yeah, uh, you yeah. know, you're, you're sober and like that. Yeah, that doesn't happen enough. So yeah. I had to throw throw that one on there. Yeah, very cool, man. Um, so your next tune is not uh, a, a prog tune, as far as I know. It's it's Fleetwood Mac and it's Silver Springs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna go with the easy route and pick Dreams. Okay. Because um, that one really just like, I mean, it, it, the whole song is just like two chords, and it's all about like the fingerings you're doing. You know, like Lindsey Buckingham is the king of just simple chord structures with intense finger picking and like mm. the master of the one note guitar solo. Like yeah. a lot of people say 
Neil Young, Neil Young like, Cinnamon Girl. Yeah, exactly. But like, I think of the end of the chain by mm-hmm. by Fleetwood Mac, and just like that yes. one, you know, just it's that just one builds note. and builds and builds. Yeah, and it's just so epic, and yeah. uh, I I love I love the the touch he uses, and um, with Silver Spring. It's like this weird song that they recorded uh, during the rumor sessions, but it never made it onto the album. Ah. They released it as a B side for one of the songs, and I think I think it was the B side to to Dreams. And if not, like someone will correct me. See, um, no, it's funny you say that because somebody else brought this song. A friend of mine, Joe Watson, brought this song on one of her lists mm. on a previous episode. Wow, and I, I'd never heard of it, and that explains why. Yeah. It's one of the most powerful songs they recorded, and I think it it's the perfect distillation of everything that was going on uh, in their interpersonal relationships, oh, yeah. and it just conveys heartbreak so much, mm-hmm. and you know, the, just the chorus, like, you'll never forget the sound of a woman that loved you, yep. and it's just like Stevie Nicks just delivers it so powerfully, and you just feel like, she, you feel like she's about to break up crying, and like, who knows, maybe she was during that take, yep. and... Um, the they only released it on on the record rumors uh with the cd uh, deluxe remastering oh okay and i think this is kind of cool where again like both of us i think we built we build a lot of our identity around a record collection yes and like i've put so much time and effort into it but it, it's funny where this is one of those only albums that the cd truly is better than the record okay because this has the song uh re-put on the track list and i think just after uh, the chain, so it opens up uh, side two, as it were. Okay. And yeah, it just, it, I think it's one of the most perfect Fleetwood Mac songs. Their harmonies are incredible. Like mm-hmm. um, Lindsey Buckingham, like just as a master of the harmonics on on uh, that Les Paul that he was ripping at the time. And it's just, yes. I don't know, it's one of those like, just super heavy, heartbreaking songs. And yeah, again, it just brings me back to, um, you know, just first loves you know lost and everything and just you know that you're only 16 17 once right and like that song brings you back to those just like the purest emotions possible Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely yeah and i was just talking to somebody the other day about how uh, underrated buckingham was as a guitar player oh yeah he's incredible man he really is uh, like as as a finger picker you know he can pick up like a nylon string or a steel string acoustic and just own it and then you can pick up an electric and shred it but mm-hmm. it's all with restraint and it's all with taste and yes. he has a certain voice where you kind of know it's Lindsey buckingham he's kind of got like this like 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 um like this kind of like he's just kind of got this like fluidity to his playing and it's yeah. all just um it, i think he has a similar technique probably to uh, mark knopfler from dire straits yeah where he's using his thumb and his first finger on those high strings and like yes. kind of getting under them and digging in a certain way. Yeah. And he just gets this incredible vocal tone out of his guitar. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's super unique. You don't you don't hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well said about, you know, him having taste. He's a very tasteful yeah. player, I find. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, he just says so much with one or two notes. Exactly. Like that's right? Yeah. That's the mark of a good musician, I think. It really is. It really is. Just play the right note at the right time. Yeah. That's the key. Uh, next tune is Paul Simon and Graceland. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, this whole record is just amazing. Yeah, it really um, is. I, I've, got, um, I've got the original pressing and uh, like a 30th anniversary like remastered, like repressing. And they actually sound really different. Yep. 
again, I, I don't know what else to say other than the record is just absolutely incredible. It conveys a whole story. It's a breakup record. This was um, when Paul Simon was going through his divorce with uh, with Carrie Fisher. Yes. And uh, I, I love this song because it switches between major and minor so effortlessly. Mm-hmm. And um, that you know that chorus is just kind of like like country, like chicken picking, mm-hmm. and then it goes into. Um, you know, the part like where, when losing love is like a window in your heart. Everyone sees you blowing apart. Everyone feels the wind blow. And it just goes to uh, like the tonic minor. And it's like, whoa, like that's so unexpected in a pop song. Yeah. And um, my mom always said, you know, Paul Simon's got like way too many words in his songs, right? And it's like, this is such a mouthful, this whole this whole song. And it's it's just perfect where he conveys his story. Where You, you know, you're going down and uh, the Mississippi River is shining like a national guitar. Yes. And uh, just like what a way to open up a song and completely paint that picture where you know you're driving down the highway and you're ju- you're just coming down into view of like where you're going and you know it's just um, like the 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 romance of the road trip as something that's like you know been instilled with me at a young age. My dad always drove us down to Florida as kids. Me too. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And just you know like like you're on the road for two days and yeah. it's just something magical when you know everyone's asleep except for you and your dad and you're driving down and it's like middle of the night and there's just something like mysterious and so romantic about it that yes. that open road and i feel that where um obviously you know paul paul simon is talking from his perspective as that dad but you know maybe one day i'll feel that maybe not but just i get exactly where he's coming from in that song and just like that yeah you know the the open road when you know you have someone you love you know he's like going down the strip with his kid right and mm-hmm. trying to seek uh solace and you know uh, going to graceland and that's you know elvis's yeah uh elvis's place and i you know elvis was one of the first uh, musicians i loved mm-hmm. you know like before the punk before all of that stuff yeah. i remember like hearing hound dog and heartbreak of town yeah whoa like yeah you know it's just magic man yeah just absolute magic yeah no question and paul simon I, I was actually having a conversation with um somebody else a little while ago about graceland on this topic uh with a woman who said you know this song reminds me of um you know the time when he was doing the press for this record and mm-hmm. he was he was in an interview he was giving an interview to somebody and he he started talking about his divorce uh, to Carrie Fisher and he actually started crying in the interview wow. like he, he choked up yeah. and so she said his his genuine nature yeah yeah really struck me as a kid because I just happened to be watching this on TV and I never ever forgot that and I still think about that today just what a real person he is. Yeah. yeah like cool. you know he made such a huge impression on her you know, by mm-hmm. doing that, because he was, he was he was just a very genuine guy. Yeah. You know, and, and and I think that Graceland represents that really nicely. Yeah, and the way this record was recorded, I think we have to touch on that, um, where this was when uh, South Africa was in the height of apartheid. Yes. And um, the UN had placed, like, a big cultural boycott on it. And what, like, Paul Simon's perspective was there's all these incredible African musicians that are not being heard because no one's importing like South African goods, including mm-hmm. records. And the vocal group, Lady Smith, uh, Black Mambazo was like this incredible quartet that were like, they're blending um, like traditional African hymns with um, like a bit of like roots and blues and stuff. And so Paul like flew over there and recruited them and mm. got them to sing all that. So that's like, you know, diamonds on the soles of her shoes and homeless yes. and those incredible harmonies. And that's just because like, you know, 
like Paul Simon just showed up and was like, you know what? Like this music is too good. It has to be heard. Mm -hmm. And like, he went through this huge risk, man. And people were criticizing him left, right and center for, you know, for going over to South Africa and recording this and bringing money into this country. Right. And I think it was like a huge payoff because when he went on tour all around the world, he brought all of these musicians and all of these like white pop artists, uh, sorry, white, white pop audiences, were being introduced to like this traditional like African music, mm-hmm. and I think that made a huge impression on the like in the pop world because this was the early '80s and this was when Peter Gabriel was starting to do uh, like um, stuff with Yusuf Dur from Ghana. Yeah, that was like uh, like West Africa and like at the height of like all of these, you know, like and, like white pop artists like bringing this world music and like br- bring this like the, this black music that had not been heard and deserves to be heard right yeah. and i think that was so important for the development of of world music and the development of all these artists that would not have had that opportunity to be heard by like this you know by mainstream radio mm-hmm. if not for these guys being like no this is too good it has to you know yeah. like i'll put it on my album kind of thing yeah. right and yeah unfortunately that's you know even today sometimes that's still what it takes right and people yeah. i think are a lot more determined to seek out um, like marginalized music mm-hmm. but you know 30 40 years ago like that wasn't possible so it was yeah. pe- people like paul simon and peter gabriel that brought that music to the forefront yeah you know kev if uh Crownlands ever goes sideways it's certainly <laughs> a, f- a future in uh, music history that's yeah. for sure uh maybe maybe we'll see i don't know i i just like again like spent way too much time uh reading about the music and slaving that's, over a, that's the a, lyrics to do that's yeah. impressive knowledge thanks i guess yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've got one tune left, oh, my friend. Oh, jeez. Again, another one. I, I've not heard oh. of this band, and I've not obviously heard this tune. Uh, the band is called, is it Tycho? Tycho. And uh, the tune is called Awake. You know that feeling where you, you built like a blanket fort as a kid? Yes. That's what his music like, feels like. Okay. It's it's hard to explain. It's, um, it's It started as a solo project with this guy named Scott Hansen, and okay. he was a graphic designer in San Francisco. And... He started out trying to make music that sounded the way his art looked like. And he did all these like really cool, um, nostalgic, just warm colors. The way like a Super 8 film w- would sound like if it was just soundscapes. Yeah. And uh, he's like this ambient electronic artist who has now become like a full-fledged band. And he just played Massey Hall. Oh. And um, I went to see that with... Um, with my my best friend Dave and my girlfriend Kelly and okay. um, Dave and I like we've we've known each other since we were like like sixteen and fifteen and just you grew up like um, uh, geeking out and now he he lives in BC and we don't get to see each other often and he actually he flew all the way from BC to Toronto just for this show because it was that important to us and oh, I think wow. when I when I listen to this music again like I'm transported back to being like you know skipping school and uh, you know maybe. Uh, Maybe smoking some funny things, maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> and um, just like listening to this kind of music. And he, he he just transports you back to this, I don't know, maybe this time that existed, maybe it didn't. When, you, again, you were like three or four years old and like building those those forts as a kid. And it sounds like the West Coast too. And it, it brings me back to like, again, when I, was, when I was hitchhiking and just looking at these incredible landscapes of just like this vast open Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And he has so much of that. It, it sounds like like surfing and everything and um this weird like warbly like it sounds like everything's through a vhs cassette almost everything is like 
bending in and out of tune. And yeah. are you familiar with the um, the electronic artists Boards of Canada? Yes. They're like that. It's a Scottish duo, and they they made IDM, which was intelligent dance music, which is kind of <laughs> like su- it sounds super pretentious. But again, like I just talked about progressive rock for the last twenty minutes, yeah. so I mean, like, <laughs> like we're, we're we're you know wallowing deep right now. Um, uh, and it's just like the super weird esoteric um, electronic music that came out in the '90s, but it was still very unsettling yeah. in a way. And Tycho is almost as if you took the unsettling elements of Boards of Canada, just the serene, pretty landscape moments, okay. and you just put that. So a lot of people meditate to Tycho, oh. um, and it's just like this music you would not expect to come out of a band. But when he goes on stage, he's got like a drummer, um, like a full like uh, I think there's two guitar players and two keyboard players. To see these guys like putting this kind of music out using traditional instruments, it's it's mind-bending like yeah, yeah i highly recommend checking out their first record or their second record uh which is called dive dive and it's just the whole it's just a complete expression of ambience and tranquility i think awesome yeah awesome. No, I, i'll definitely check that out and i recommend that listeners do that as well use spotify um yeah. you know find these songs check my website they're all listed there and uh you know give these a listen yeah definitely. for sure yeah you know, I'm going to tell you something, Kev. You are wise beyond your years, my uh, friend. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Thanks. Definitely. I, I was very impressed. I, I learned a lot today. And oh, I me love too, that. man. Yeah. yeah. You did a great job. So th- thank, thank you very much for coming out. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's good to have you. Cool. So can you do me one favor? Absolutely. Can you can you play us out? Give me a little bit of rush. Can oh, jeez. What, what rush do I uh, here we'll, we'll we'll go through uh, some some of Xanadu. There you go. Perfect. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my special guest, Kevin Como. Kev, thanks for coming in, brother. Thank you so much, man. All right. Till next time, take good care, folks. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide.